Well, hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back. It's been 13 weeks, um, and, and my goodness, I have missed you and your faces and your singing and just being together, and I know that sentiment is shared um, by many of us here as the conversations we've had over the weeks. We're in this series on being salt and light. And so it just seems to me that when we're all together, that, um, that life has a little more flavor to it than it has the past 13 Sunday mornings. And certainly it seems like life or that, that things are a lot brighter when we're together. Now, over the last 13 weeks in general, um, over this last week in specific, all right, um, our staff. Uh, their spouses, um, key volunteers, people who've come in to do a number of different things this last week, our leaders who have not only shepherded us but guided us through what's just a, not only a crazy time in life, but a crazy time in the life of the church. They have done a lot of work behind the scenes, obviously, out of our eyesight for the most part for the last 13 weeks. And I just want you to show them your appreciation today. They've done a super job. This church building has been empty mostly for 13 weeks, but the church, the church has been alive taking faith and hope and love and light to this world around us. Um, I don't think we'll know for a long time the full fruit of all of the work that has gone on in God's kingdom during the last 13 weeks to come alongside of people, in some cases, who are scared in other cases who are defiant, and everything in between, right? To just be the light and the love of God to people. And our passage today is in Matthew chapter 6. I want you to turn there. Um, there are no Bibles in the chairs in front of you, so if you have a Bible or Bible app, turn there. If not, for the next few weeks, I'm going to be putting the scriptures on the screens. I'm not going to make you go after them like I usually do, um, just because it, it facilitates kind of where we're at in life right now. Now, we're going to tackle verses 25 through 34 as the main part of our text, looking at the subject today of worry. But before we do, let's back up one verse to verse 24. Jesus is going to finish one section and kind of set up this section of his message with what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I think anticipating then next that some of his followers, and no doubt even some of us as his followers, might then ask, well, listen, if I choose to make God my master, okay, place all of my trust in the things of his kingdom, well, who's going to take care of my needs here on earth? Because those are pretty important today, it seems like, right? So Jesus directs our attention to the subject of worry. And he's going to say repeatedly in our passage, do not worry. Okay, pick up with me in verse 25, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, 
and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you as humans, okay? Are you as God's people? Are you as like the crowning part of his creation? He says, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, Jesus asks, add a single hour to your life? Now, one might say, no, but you can take a few hours away or days, right? Studies say how much the stress of worry um, attacks our body and its systems, and, and some believe responsible for so much of the um, poor health in our world and those type of things. Jesus says, can you... Can you like add anything to your life by worrying about what's going on? Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes, Jesus said? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Yep, I lost my spot. <laughs> Will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, they run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He says, don't act like orphans. Don't act like people who don't know who their father is. Don't act like people who don't have a father to take care of them. Instead, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Or I think if we put the emphasis on it, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I can't read verse 34 without thinking of our 97-year-old friend, Fern Metcalf. <laughs> Where every time I go to visit her, she says what's probably the words to her favorite song. She says, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's how she's made it 97 years and two months. One day at a time. It's got to be her favorite song, I'm sure. I, I don't know when the last time I visited with her that she did not say those words. Now, the word worry, in some of your translations, may be translated concern. Okay? And in its positive form, like, we're encouraged to be concerned about things like other people, things like God's work. But, in its negative form, which is what Jesus is talking about here, okay, it's misdirected worry, right? disproportional worry, or worry that indicates a lack of trust in God. I think that's the, the force of what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6, is a worry that indicates a lack of trust in God. Now, think about the context of Jesus' words, realizing that unlike you and me, okay, though we may feel like at times, some of Jesus' audience were actually extremely poor. Okay? For them, trying to figure out where the basics of each day were going to come from was a true challenge. There would have been people in this audience listening to the Sermon on the Mount who were hungry, people who were literally thirsty, 
and people had very little clothing to their name. And Jesus was challenging them to literally trust God for their daily provision. Okay? It, it casts a little bit of um, shadow when you put things in that perspective for you and I, how we worry about these things. Now, Jesus is not forbidding us to think ahead, not forbidding us to plan or, or even to give consideration of current conditions. The scripture has many different indications in it that encourage us to do such things, like in Proverbs where it lauds the ant for preparing for winter, right, and working hard. Um, God used Joseph to plan and prepare for the seven years of famine that were going to happen in Egypt when there were seven years of plenty. Corinthians talks about parents saving for their children. Jesus is not addressing thinking in general. He's not addressing thinking ahead. He's addressing anxious thinking because anxious thinking is distracted thinking, Jesus would say. Some examples, I think, from the Bible. You think about... Um, Mary and Martha, remember when Jesus was there? And Jesus says Mary was so concerned or worried about all the things to do that she neglected to realize that she was in, in the presence of Jesus, right? Or the good seed sown among the thorns in the parable of the sower. Remember what it says happened to that good seed? It was choked out by the worries of this life. Warren Wearsby once said, we are continually being crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. It's the danger. Remember the old quote, maybe you've heard it before, maybe not. I think it gives a perspective to worry. And it ties into this very passage here in Matthew. It says, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious, anxious human beings rush about and worry so said the sparrow to the robin friend i think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me listen if the creator cares for his creatures jesus would say why would we think that the father would not care for us as his children Jesus says that this is what people who don't know God do. Over the years, um, I've heard some pushback on this particular passage when it comes to the issue of worry as it relates to Matthew chapter 6. Some will say, well, if, if God simply provides, why do I even need to work? Okay. Well, I don't know any, maybe you could share a testimony with us today, who've been called like Elijah to go off into the wilderness and God was going to send the ravens to bring you food, okay? But I do know that most of us are covered by what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, when he says, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. I don't think that really holds a lot of weight as a pushback, is what I'm saying. Now, a little bit deeper issue. Some will say, well, if God provides these things, then why are there people starving? I think it's a relative question. Okay? I think it's worth noting that here in the book of Matthew, here in verse 25, Jesus says, so don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. But if you go to Matthew 25, verse 35, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, 
Remember the words that Jesus says to the sheep, to those that were honored or blessed or faithful? He said, I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me water to drink. I think it reminds us that we are not only the beneficiaries of God's provision, that sometimes we also become the distributors of it as well. All right? God has provided ample resources. I truly believe that. Um, man probably poor, has poorly stewarded them, and that's part of our struggle in our world today. Okay? And then let me just remind us as believers, Jesus never said, that our life would be free from difficulties. His life wasn't free from difficulty. Christians throughout the years' lives have not been free from difficulty, and you and I do not live a life that is free from difficulty. Jesus said instead in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, do not worry. And he goes a little bit deeper, and, he, and let's look at why it's wrong to worry as a child of God. Okay, let's just delve into that. And I'm going to give you like five different reasons here real quick, and I'll leave them up on the screen for you for a while. I want you to just listen to what, what I'm saying. Okay? Um, the first thing is worry is irreverent. Okay? It's irreverent. It, it fails to recognize the God who gave us life and sustains life as if you are responsible for it all yourself, okay? Now, the next one is hard to say next to it, but worry is also irrelevant, okay? It's irrelevant, irrelevant in the fact that it doesn't change things, okay? Nor does it help us to cope any better with our problems. Just because you worry doesn't make anything change. Some would say worry is irresponsible, it burns up energy, mental, physical, otherwise, with no productive result. I would remind you that worry is just unnecessary. Like, God already knows what you need. And then worry is unworthy. Unworthy is it focuses all of our attention on our own needs. The, the problem with worry, and the crazy thing about it, is that worry is about tomorrow, but you pay the price today. Many of our worries never come to pass, yet we've invested time and energy and thought on them. I mean, how many times have you said, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have, you fill in the blank. I would have lived differently, right? So live differently because you do know him now and you can trust him now. This is a personal story. I... I was reflecting on this again this week in, in light of this passage because so many of us struggle with worry. And, and in code, that means so many of us struggle with control, right? And that part of the deal. Back in 2016, um, I find my, found myself 51 years old, okay, single and divorced. Now, I planned on one of those three happening in life. Okay, I figured I would make it to 51. The other two weren't a part of my plan, and yet that was my reality at the time. Um, it had been five years since everything in life fell apart for me. And I began to feel like maybe after five years, I was finally ready to consider possibly dating. And that was scary. 
and God and I would have these conversations. There are a couple of other things that, that, um, that happened that kind of convinced me that, that, that this might be the time, right? And so um, God and I had this conversation, and I told him that I thought I might be ready, right? But that he would have to take the lead because I was scared to death. Right? That might be the understatement of everything I say today. Um, and then after we had that conversation, nothing happened. <laughs> and so I went through this cycle for about, well, for several months and, where I would think about it often. Um, and sometimes, honestly, would, I would just be overwhelmed by the thought. And this passage just plays out so much about worry in that. But I learned in those times of difficulty and being overwhelmed to ask myself four questions. The first question was, do you trust God? Well, after five years, it was easier to answer yes to that question. It might have been a little harder along the way working that out. But I did trust God. Then I would say, do you believe that God knows what is best for you? Well, that one was pretty easy for me to answer yes to. The third question was, do you believe God wants what is best for you? Um, after five years, I could answer that yes. I wasn't so sure along the way, wrestling through a lot of different issues. And the fourth question was, is there anything that God has asked you to do that you have not done? And during that time, I could honestly answer no to that question. There wasn't anything left undone. Then I would settle my spirit. And I would say, then wait. Be patient. Trust God. And I would let it go. And I did this for six months with the same result. <laughs> sometimes very frustrated, sometimes very much at peace. And then six months later, along came Karen Weeger. <laughs> I mean, do you believe I only ever had to date one person? I never would have believed that if you would have told me that ahead of time. But the point is, like, I, I trusted God. I trusted that he knew what was best for me and that he wanted what was best for me. And he proved worthy of that trust. Good things came because God is a good God. Good things came because I waited on him and fought through the temptation to worry and more importantly, fought through the temptation to try to make things happen on my own. It's a relevant question for any of us to ask, do you trust your Father? Do you believe He knows what is best for you? Do you believe He wants what is best for you? And is there anything that He's asked you to do that you have left undone? How many times have you said in your life, in the season of worry, I don't know what I'm going to do when, or I don't know what I would do if. I would just ask you, how many times of those whens and ifs have you lived through at this point? When, when the time came, you had what you needed to make it through. Six months before then, you probably didn't. But when you came to that time, God showed up, and he gave you what you needed and how you needed it so you could get it through. Max Lucado wrote, most Meet today's problems with today's strength. 
You don't have tomorrow's strength yet. So don't tackle tomorrow's problems today. Now, in the middle of the passage, Jesus is going to move from worry 